Good morrow, one and all. It's Chappie. Hello. How's it going? It's Saturday, and um, it's unseasonably warm here in Colorado. Um, I've actually uh, cracked open the window here at Chappie Towers, and um, I'm letting a, a little bit of a draft around my butler's nook at the moment. Very refreshing, I have to say, and uh, and quite uh, invigorating too at the same time. Um, so I hope you're having a lovely Saturday. Um, I know that uh, some of my family members are having a little bit of snow, so that's very exciting. Uh, they don't get much snow on the North Norfolk coast in the UK very often. So uh, father's very excited and doing a little bit of uh, vigorous bobsleighing today, I'm sure. Um, and uh, maybe uh, mother's pushing him along uh, and then jumping into the back of the bobsleigh. Who knows? Let's hope so anyway. That's what I like to imagine. Uh, but welcome to the program. It's uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, episode 53. And uh, you're very welcome to it. And um, I think we're going to have a lot of fun this afternoon, as we always try to. A uh, little fun and games and maybe a few frolics, potentially. I mean, some of you probably like to see me and imagine me dressed as Joan Collins. Uh, promise you, no stilettos, no fabulous blue cocktail dresses, and not a pearl necklace in sight, I promise you. So some of the things that we uh, may or may not be uh, discussing today, uh, we're going back into the podding shed and seeing Percy in the podding shed. Uh, and our new uh, little uh, gardener's uh, potting world session. Uh, today, he's going to be talking about planting a hedge and maybe trimming a bush. Um, also, more Anglo-antique arc. Uh, also, uh, we're continuing our Yorkshire pudding revolution. I'll talk to you uh, why that is. Clotheslines. What do you think of them? Do you have any? Uh, we'll be talking about that as well. Uh, across the uh, balance of the uh, show today. Um, maybe how to create a capsule wardrobe, uh, vitamin or vitamins to help our bodies cope with winter is something else that we may be uh, looking at uh, as well. Um, and uh, also eat better, breathe and be more middle class. A meat-free month isn't the best choice uh, on the planet apparently. Um, how to say happy and sane in lockdown. Again, these are things that may or may not be happening. The show's so packed today that uh, we possibly, um, you know, we'll, won't have time to enjoy the rigors of some of these subjects. Um, and, uh, well, we did talk about the Dutch seizing the British ham sandwiches. I'm still very upset about that. Um, but uh, as I said, I'm going to go cheese. Uh, more social dilemmas. Uh, that come across my way, people trying to sell me things, some of them incredibly uh, eerily appropriate and some of them completely inappropriate. Um, and um, TikTok's obsessed with this crispy potato recipe and the obsession and keep coming cauliflower cheese about crispy potatoes continues. Uh, we do have uh, some more um, trumple trombone. Um, we do have some historical tinder as well. Uh, so that, let's do enjoy um, uh, Philip, Prince Philip makes the Queen blush lonely bored Japanese queue up to rent a man who does nothing um, and use uh, compostable dog poop bags uh, not biodegradable ones and Aussies make broccoli coffee 
So we've got a really fun-packed uh, show today. And um, again, in all your regalia, make yourself comfortable. Um, I mean, as I said yesterday, I do like, you know, I do like my audience to dress to impress. So, uh, general pieces, if you, uh, if you have the white jacket and the bow tie on, nicely pressed, I think that'd be fine. A little cocktail skirt for the ladies. Or you can swapsie around if you really want. No judgment here, folks. So the best home offers uh, lockdown expert advice for work from home. So here we go again. Uh, now that you swept away the Christmas needles, work from home nine to five starts again. We have uh, never worked harder at home and our homes have never had to work as hard either. With rooms, multitasking, classrooms, office space and meeting rooms, as well as somewhere to get to grips with our tough new normal. Nothing will replace the watercolor, uh, oh, sorry, watercolor, water cooler chat, but it's uh, possible to make your environment that bit cooler when it comes to design. Emma Morley, the founder of Trifle Creative, used to design workspaces for commercial clients such as Soho House in London and Sonia Friedman Productions. We recognize that a home office also needs to work harmoniously within a domestic setting. Stylish, ergonomically sound furniture and accessories are key to this and will help boost our productivity and our overall well-being. After the novelty of a lockdown uh, working last spring to the misery of the uh, winter commute from bedroom to kitchen, getting on your domestic setup sorted out is the key to getting everything thriving in 2021. So the location, find a corner in the living room and nook, not my butler, butler there's no room in here. There's lots of, uh, lots of starch and, uh, and a few stiff collars and a few stiff brandies in here, but there's no room for you in the butler nook. Um, hallway or loft, the spot on the landing where you can put a table, chair, a laptop. Never underestimate the power of natural light. Sitting in a dark environment, which I like to do because I'm part vampire, can play havoc with your productivity. And also you want to sleep um, on the job, which never is good. Uh, position your workspace within six meters of window that allows a good light levels, i.e. Uh, so much of it with the light levels anyway, can cause screen glare. At this point, you need to consider rearranging furniture to get it right, whether it's configuring a small, multifunctional space or finding a solution to the sudden inconvenience of open-plan living. Mark your territory. Use decorative washi tape made from traditional Japanese paper on the ceiling and walls to either side of your desk to create a board along the workspace. Create a work zone with a rug for boundaries. Use a sofa, a tall open bookcase, um, and, uh, and also... Uh, uh, decor beers dot beers has a range of room dividers as well um, as much as carving out a space for desk it's, a, it's also being able to hide the world of work outside of office hours so the desk some of us uh, continue to make do with the kitchen table but this year uh, we should resolve to invest in a forever desk or a neat solution such as the yo-yo desk mini that convert any table into your home to a stand-up desk um, I like the idea that I was talking about the other day, though, of, of, of the tray that one can put on one's lap that you can also serve food on so you can work from bed. But I do also like the idea of maybe working from a shooting stick. I find that might be invigorating sitting on a stiff shooting stick, uh, and I think I would uh, probably not fall asleep and be able to do all my work through the course of the day. So, vitamins in the winter. Vitamins can help our bodies cope with winter. 
More than 2.5 million vulnerable people in England will be offered free vitamin D supplements this winter. When exposed to sunlight, the skin makes vitamin D, which is important for healthy bones, teeth and muscles. While everybody should take 10 micrograms of vitamin D a day between October and March, according to health officials. However, it's not just vitamin D you should be topping up on. And uh, some of the experts, such as Professor Christopher Eden, uh, says that vitamin C has an antioxidant effect helping to prevent cancer and heart disease, promoting immunity, and help wound healing. Unlike most animals, humans can't manufacture vitamin C, so they rely on uh, getting it from foods such as citrus fruits, tomatoes, and potatoes. Uh, Harley Mavali, uh, nutrition uh, consultant, said supplements are beneficial when diet alone cannot address all nutritional needs, such as those who need to get through illness or pregnancy. Uh, people who don't eat oily fish should take omega-3 supplements. Uh, Louise Newson, doctor, said magnesium is an important mineral. Uh, so many different pathways into our bodies. Magnesium has a role in, in the maintenance of our blood glucose levels and weight. It also helps energy production, reduction of inflammation and improvement of sleep. Uh, and then Tony uh, Kosher, the professor, said, uh, I took zinc um, 10 milligrams a day after a mild case of COVID because the supplement plays an important role in antibody production. Uh, making you better help uh, and better to fight infection. Although it's helpful in the short term, it's not something that take for a long period of time. This is because zinc has side effects that can interact with other medications. Um, so, I my regiment. I mean, I don't know anybody who would describe me as regimented particularly, uh, but my regiment is a shot of apple cider vinegar. Don't even water it down. Get it down the gullet. All that, all that, all that mother and everything else. Get that down there, and um, and also uh, I, I love love a spoonful of manuka honey. That's very good. That lubricates the uh, throat, um, especially if you have um, a part-time hobby. I was in butler, and I try not to talk too much when I'm on my butler duties, but um, never answer back to the master. But uh, but no, but when doing the podcast, I like to keep one's throat very lubricated, and then turmeric. Um, I, I take a shot, a raw shot of turmeric, spoonful, into the mouth. Helps all sorts of uh, indelicacies in the uh, in the stomach, any sort of aches and pains you have as well. Toothache. I mean, it's a wondrous thing, and also it's great because you have a yellow tongue. And if somebody approaches you, um, and they're not socially distancing, you just stick out your tongue, and they scarper away. I tell you, a yellow tongue is a fearful sight first thing in the morning. So John Pelagi says a meat-free month isn't the best choice for us or the planet. We live in a world of extremes. Extreme voices get more attention. Extreme actions are often praised. December's extreme excesses are followed by January's extreme abstinence. No chocolate, alcohol, fun in recent years. No meat uh, with uh, vegan January or veganery. Uh, a campaign urging us to have a meat-free month. Being in the meat trade uh, is often assumed I eat a couple of pounds with every meal give vegans, uh, vegetarians and flexitarians a wide berth. Far from it, I applaud people who care about their food, where it comes from, and mindful of the impacts of their diet, and uh, don't think any party should have a monopoly on scrutinizing how food is produced. It should concern us all. And I don't believe in giving up meat or anything else for a month is the most effective route to sustainability. When it comes to meat, it's not the cow, it's the how. Uh, many of the cha charges leveled against the global meat industry are justified, 
The rates of deforestation in the Amazon to make wave to beef farms are shocking, as are animal rights abuses and result of industrial-style farming. Yet equating these abuses with traditional farming practices in Great Britain is simplistic and damaging. The farmers I work with uh, graze their herds and flocks on upland pastures and enrolled in numerous environmental stewardship schemes. The UK's maritime uh, climate is supremely well suited to livestock farming and we have been doing it for centuries. In fact, our heritage breeds from Aberdeen Angus to Swallowdale lamb are the envy of the world. Take Uruguay, its national herd is predominantly Hereford beef. Uh, my mantra has always been balance. Eat everything in moderation and choose quality over quantity. There are many misleading narratives about meat eating, just as there are about veganism and other lifestyle choices too. So instead of giving up meat for a month, I would become a conscientious carnivore, eating it sensibly throughout the year will have a far more positive impact on my health and the environment. We all know the tortoise and the hare story, and the uh, so, uh, same applies to everything in life. Quick fixes seldom prevail, slow, steady wins the race. John Pelagi is a founder, CEO of Pharmacin & Co, an online butcher. So here come the German influencers, the women putting Dusseldorf on the fashion map. London, Paris, Milan, the three European fashion capitals long ago cemented themselves as centres of creativity. Uh, London, Couture, Paris and artisanship, Milan. Uh, with the world's press visiting each fashion week twice a year, despite fashion weeks in Berlin and Vienna, Central Europe has yet to challenge the dominance of the capitals. But this may be about to change. First comes the new quarterly uh, women's lifestyle magazine, uh, a brainchild of publisher Tyler Brühl, uh, wallpaper and monocle created from the offices in Zurich and London and printed in Germany in both German and English. It promises refined living to the women uh, of uh, uh, Middle Europa at £15 a pop. The uh, price tag is telling which editors mean by refinement. The debut issue spans luxury fashion, interiors, wine, even travel, according to market research, uh, research company GFK. Liechtenstein, Switzerland, Luxembourg, top Europe for purchasing power. Uh, Brule is now catering for the luxury market. Until now, it's been largely ignored. In Dusseldorf, a new type of influence is emerging. They dress top to toe in the latest trends and designer labels, just like their counterparts in France, Britain, or Italy. Unlike most, though, Dusseldorf's it girls are in their 40s, and they don't lie about their age. My age is my USP. It's why I've been successful, says Alexandra Lapp, a 45-year-old former model who turned full-time uh, insta-fashionista. She had 333,000 Instagram followers, most of women in their 40s and 50s, and they don't look like Angela Merkel. Uh, they're looking for style and inspiration, and they have buying power, says Lapp. The same is not always said true of the teen and 20-somes audiences of younger influencers who are wearing Crocs. Uh, she uh, says Dusseldorf is known to locals as the little Paris. So chic are its residents that might explain her penchant for being photographed with baguettes. The carby kind, not those from Fendi. Um, so there we go. Dusseldorf, um, you know, you can dress head to toe in Dior and uh, go and have a, a bratwurst for lunch. Oh, hello there. It's, uh, it's Percy, yeah. I'm in the, uh, I'm podding in the potting shed again this week. And, uh, how to choose and plant an edge. Edges are the unsung heroes of gardens. They keep out noise and hide our eyesores. They're, uh, they're a contrasting foil for the plants. In front of them, they provide architectural, uh, crenellations, clouds and buttresses. They also are havens for wildlife 
and uh, some even flower and can be perfumed. Uh, plenty to consider then if you want to plant an edge, say a classic door boundary edge of about 2.5 meters. You've got evergreen edges, that's you. You is a classic species and will uh, give you a crisp, slim, precisely clippable lines and dark foliage. Cypress, almost nobody plants rampant Leandae anymore, but still plants cypress edges. And then you get the cherry, laurel. Uh, tempting because the plants are sale always big, and they're always because it's bruisier, fast growing and sideways, and they grow vertically too. And then Ollie, excellent in poor soil, male and females are required to get berries, usually by a mixed batch of young pot grown. So make sure before the winter comes, you always have to trim your bush. You know, you don't want the bush hanging out the side. Uh, it's always a good idea to give it a good clipping just before winter comes. I know it's cold, it's nice to have a bit of a bush, but you really want to uh, strip it almost down to a Brazilian level. Anyway, it's uh, it's Percy here, and I'm in the potting shed. It's, uh, it's lovely to have you here today, and uh, I really need to clean my hands off. Uh, got some manure on there, and... Uh, I want to have a sip of uh, sip of tea before I uh, do anything else, uh, but I uh, I just want to leave you leave you horrible lot by saying say it ain't cilantro, and uh, let us be thankful. See you again next week. Doodaloo. So a big question that that I found, and I've noticed this um, over the years, really, not just of late, not that I'm paying attention particularly, is how badly most men's genes fit. Now, if I go for the skinny gene, um, first of all, I'm going to give myself a hernia trying to squeeze my legs in there for a start. And if you have big calves that uh, anybody who may have played rugby at any point to enjoy a good meat pie probably has, skinny genes aren't going to be uh, for you. And then uh, if, you're, if you're trying to squeeze uh, and, and then actually do the button up, you've got even more of a problem. So getting over the thick thighs to begin with, and then uh, doing it up but the alternative though these loose fit jeans i mean it, it looks like you've got a like a baggy sail around your leg basically this you know it's it's, it's, it's wafting in the breeze there it leaves it uh, it really does fit you like a potato sack and there's no form there at all there may be enough room in the waist but you've uh, you've got baggy legs and, uh, and 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 sort of gaping at the bottom there, basically. So it's a big question. I mean, I I've tried everything, shrinking the jeans. I mean, I have gone the skinny jean route, but I mean that's like uh, somebody uh, you know just painting me with blue paint uh, and leaving really nothing to the imagination. And I don't really want that. I don't think anybody else wants that either. Um, but uh, but yeah, the loose fit jeans don't work. Uh, the normal fit jeans are uh, sometimes a little bit tight and the uh, skinny jeans, um, well, it's, it's, it's like putting my hand in a rubber glove or something similar. That's what it looks like and uh, it probably looks like that to everybody else. And you're showing off too many onions in, from the onion bag, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, so anyway, any answers on a postcard to solve my uh, uh, you know, gene problem here? Because, you know, I haven't got, uh, you know, a dad butt at all. Uh, you know, it's not a bad looking butt, I have to say for myself. Um, but, uh, but, the, but the arse is too baggy around the arse as well. So you've got the problem of it falling down at the front and the back. 
um, and uh, it's, it's causing all sorts of unmentionables. Scientists have just discovered dwarf giraffes. Researchers have identified two dwarf giraffes, the first such animals known to science. During a routine surveys, uh, endangered troubled giraffe populations by the conservation group Giraffe Conservation Foundation, biologists found the two, um, uh, the, the two uh, giraffes, one in Namibia, Namibia and one in Uganda, in research, in research recently published uh, in the BMC research notes, biologists conclude giraffes have skeletal um, disorders, a rare occurrence in most wild, free-ranging animal populations. They have particularly short legs, and one had a shorter-than-average neck. It sounds like they sort of got my genetics almost. The height of the giraffe is around 16 feet, but the giraffe found in central Namibia. Uh, measured nine feet four inches tall that's hardly a midget giraffe that's quite short for a giraffe a giraffe known as nigel i mean given give a giraffe a name nigel i mean you want something a little bit more exotic than that nigel the uh, the giraffe uh, he's just uh, gone down and uh, uh, sit down at the pub at the bar he's having a he's having a sup of the local ale and uh, he's gossiping and uh, the bartender tells him to wind his neck in uh, the other giraffe in Uganda, who was measured as a sub-adult, meaning an independent maturing animal, reached about eight and a half feet tall. Instances of wild animals with sort of skeletal uh, disease are extraordinarily rare. Michael Brown, a conservation biologist and lead author of the research, said in a statement, it's another interesting wrinkle in the uh, unique story of giraffes in diverse ecosystems. Absolutely beautiful uh, uh, creatures, though, um, giraffes. And... Um, and uh, it's uh, it's amazing that uh, through evolution that they've only just discovered these uh, dwarf varieties. So here we are again on the wondrous subject of the puffy delight that is the Yorkshire pudding. So I get a lot of feedback whenever I make the Yorkshire pudding for family or friends and uh, a lot of feedback recently people not being able to uh, get them uh, get them puffy enough uh, for a start uh, they're sort of as flat as a pancake but I feel that if we'd had the Yorkshire pudding at the uh, time of the War of Independence the British may have won because I think the Americans would have retreated and said this is too delicious we don't want to break away with the Empire we need the recipe of the Yorkshire pudding it's, 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 it's a change maker. It, it really is. I think it could bring... I mean, it could have stopped the whole Cold War 20 years earlier. If, uh, if you know, if uh, Khrushchev and Kennedy had sat down and had a Yorkshire pudding, you know, there may not have been the possibility of Third World War. I mean, it would have detente uh, right away, without a doubt. So, I think, you know, we can get a... A, a, you know, grasp back on uh, culinary activity in the US. I, I want to start the Yorkshire Pudding Association of America. I don't believe it exists. Please, if anybody sees it out there, let me know. But I think I'm, I'm going to be the founding chairman of the Yorkshire Pudding Association of America. I, I'm almost a pudding clinician. I have a PhD pudding help diagnosis um, and I could set up clinics all around the country for people who can't get their puddings up um, anybody with a soggy bottom 
I can solve any soggy bottom problems as well, almost immediately. Anybody with the severe issue of pudding dysfunction, um, I can get them spiraling up like the Eiffel Tower again for you. Crispy, doughy, high, something to be proud of. Um, and this is something that I really feel to be introduced. I think it would be, it would help the special relationship between the US and the UK gain a footing again after Trump. I think the Yorkshire pudding could bring Biden and Boris Johnson to the table. They could break bread or break a Yorkshire pudding. It would be just as lovely. Um, and they don't even need gravy or roasties or anything like that. It could just be the Yorkshire pudding and I think it could solve uh, the world's ills without a doubt. Um, but I, no, I do have some tips. 10 tips to make sure your Yorkshire puddings uh, rise. Uh, number one, measure your ingredients. Use equal volumes of milk, uh, eggs, um, and all-purpose flour. Too much flour will result in the pudding being too heavy and dense. And that's where you get the soggy bottom, ladies and gentlemen. Without enough egg, there will be insufficient air beaten in for a successful rise. Mix thoroughly. Let the batter rest. Use the right fat. Fats need to be a high temperature. Use lard, beef drippings, or vegetable oil. Um, oil in the tins and heat the oven until the fat is smoking never use olive oil or butter these two fats will not reach a high enough temperature when it comes to uh, cooking the Yorkshire puddings then stir again risk it's all in the wrist get the wrist moving rigorously you know gentlemen out there you know how to use your wrist rigorously I say uh, wipe instead of washing don't you know this is you don't want to wash your tin you want to wipe it for next time do not fill the Yorkshire pudding batter to the rim. Keep the batter cool and the oven hot. So it's best to maybe let the batter rest overnight and then give it a vigorous whisk in the morning. Um, don't use a convection oven and don't, don't, do not open the oven door. Do not open the oven door. Uh, that could be an absolute no-no. Awful, awful. Uh, and there was a story that made me a little bit fearful of you know, having my Yorkshire Pudding Association of America. Um, American Yorkshire Pudding startled Brits as they re resemble genitals. Um, so uh, there was a lady, a after one American woman revealed how she made a cup of tea. Now once more, there's been a row line after Keenbeger showed off her goods. Over here, a Yorkshire pudding is a much-loved British institution served with roast dinner and lashings of gravy. But Brits were shocked to discover that they're called popovers in America and they are served as a sweet dessert. In this case, the bakers uh, filled them with uh, melted brie and jam and they looked a little bit rude to say the least. Uh, Madeline Brown tweeted, uh, fluffy popovers with melted brie and jam, super good, but looking a little suspect. Um, so, I mean, I don't think, uh, yes, they look... Um, uh, they look like they look like a lady's nether regions, basically. And meanwhile, many Brits were shocked to learn that uh, Americans also have a different name for their versions. Popovers? Is that what Americans call Yorkshire puddings? It's too early for this bombshell. Fluffy popovers, ma'am? It is a Yorkshire pudding. Pop over my dead body. These are clearly Yorkshire puddings, and they look like a lady's nether regions. Um... A popover is the American version of the Yorkshire pudding, similar batter puddings made in England since the 17th century. Please do not pull, call them popovers. They are the Yorkshire pudding, and we are going to start today, ladies and mantelpieces. Today, we're going to start the revolution of 
the Yorkshire Pudding Association of America, not the popover. No popovers in sight here. A popover is, is almost like a popover to next Netflix and chill or something. No popovers. It's Yorkshire pudding. It's dense. It's uh, also a little bit crispy. It fluffs up. It's like a souffle. And it's utterly, utterly, utterly delicious. But one word, though. I know, um, I know that, uh, that uh, people that I know very, very well, lovely people, uh, have been making Yorkshire puddings recently and uh, using them as a sweet treat. I just, I'm, not, I'm not a snob on the Yorkshire pudding steaks. That's never going to get the association anywhere. Because my mother was telling them that they used to, when she was a girl, put golden syrup on them and it was served as a dessert. So all those Yorkshire pudding snobs out there, it, it can be sweet. But the brie and jam that looks like a, a lady's... Mm-hmm, uh, yes. No, no, no. Okay, so we're delving again into the Anglo-Antique arc. Um, and as I said, we this is where we look at um, bygone foods, bygone items that we grew up with that were slightly ridiculous at the time that everybody seemed to have. And this is something that everybody seemed to eat. The Findus Crispy Pancakes. Um, so these were shaped like a folded pancake. They were breaded. Um, had a sort of a pancake consistency underneath and uh, and then inside you had uh, like maybe minced beef with onion or or uh, ground beef and onion or chicken and mushroom as a filling it was sort of almost like a little bit like a, a pot pie i guess you would get in america um but um they were an absolute delicious sort of tea time treat um and this is some of the reactions of people who are reminiscing about the Findus Crispy Pancake. Um, having them with bachelor super noodles, what the hell did you eat with your crispy pancakes? Um, I would vomit if I, uh, rather than eat one of these today, but back in the day I enjoyed these along with the crumbs that were a brighter shade of orange than Donald Trump's tan. Uh, overriding memories of childhood along with the flammable dressing gowns. I used to eat them for breakfast, says another uh, reader. They were so good at school, it was much later I realized that uh, it was down to the deep frying. Not so good when you put them in the oven. Um, whenever you drove past the Finders factory in Fort Lane's Ames in Long Benton, there was a strong smell of crispy pancakes and took me back to my uh, youth. I raced down the list to check, which was number one, minced beef um, in the winter, chicken in the summer. Mm, they were hotter than the Earth's core. I mean, you could burn your mouth on these and you would have no relief for weeks literally you could probably not use your tongue for a week uh you would have to dip your tongue in a vat of ice and some creamy cold milk to get any sense of the uh tactile sen- sensation of the tongue working again after eating a crispy pa- Findus crispy pancake but there we go that's in the anglo anti-gart this week the Findus crispy pancake so uh, many people are watching the uh, racy little joy that is Bridgerton uh, that's out on Netflix at the moment. And it, uh, it's a cross between, uh, I guess, Pride and Prejudice, Jane, o- Jane Austen and Gossip Girl. Uh, is it, is it, and it's just as sneaky and much naughtier than Gossip Girl, let me tell you. Uh, but what Bridgerton gets wrong about the corset. 
Women's rights were severely restricted in the 19th century England, but their undergarments weren't to blame. In the open scenes of the steamy Netflix period drama Bridget and Prudence Featherington, one of the eligible daughters of the social climbing Lady Featherington, is dressing to uh, be presented to the Queen of England. Uh, Prudence doubles over, gasping for breath, as the maid yanks the laces of her corset tighter. And I've been through this myself when I've dressed up as an ugly sister. I was able to squeeze my waist into the size of an orange and a half when I was Prudence age, says Lady Theverington. Many movies, historical as well as fantastical, have a similar scene. Gone with the wind, uh, death gripping a bedpost whilst the, uh, whilst the corset's put on, uh, Elizabeth Swan in Pirates of the Caribbean, Titanic's Rose... Uh, Emma Watson playing Belle in Disney's Beauty and the Beast. One other element shared by one of these scenes among many others, none of the uh, characters suffering through the pain have the control over their own lives. In each scene, an authority figure, Prudence and Rose's mother, tells them that he must do it. It's a pretty on-the-nose metaphor, says Aidan O'Brien, the curator of costume and textiles at the daughter of the American Revolution Museum in, in uh, Washington, D.C. To have a scene in which they're saying, tighter, tighter, uh, is obviously a stand for women's restricted roles in society, O'Brien says at that time. The trouble is nearly all of these depictions are exaggerated or just plain wrong. This is not to say Bridgerton uh, erred in her portrayal of women's rights during the early 19th century Regency era were indeed severely restricted, but their undergarments weren't to blame. It's less about the corset and more about the psycho psychology of the scene, says Cass McGann, a clothing historian. Um, who's consulted for TV shows and theatre productions. Over four centuries of uncontrollable changes in fashion, women's undergarments went through wide var variations in name, style and shape. Uh, but for those understanding of costume dramas comes solely from the shows, movies like Bridgerton, those different garments are just lumped together erroneously as corsets. If one does define a corset as a structured undergarment for a woman's torso, says Hilary Davison, a dress historian and the author of the dress in the age of Jane Austen, the uh, first corsets appeared in the 16th century in response to women's fashion becoming stiffer and more geometric. The corset stiffened with whalebone, reeds or even uh, sometimes wood did, uh, did somewhat shape women's bodies in the inverted cone shape that was in fashion, but women weren't necessarily pulling their corsets tight enough to achieve that shape. Instead, they used pads or hoops to give them the wider shape below the waist, like the Elizabethan booty pads. Um, so, yeah, I've never tried a, or had an Elizabethan booty pad before. Uh, maybe that's something one could try for 2021, perhaps. It could be a new, uh, uh, new butler fashion item. Um, but... Um, I, I don't. I don't know about the corset. I have. Uh, I have tried one on before, and I and, and I imagine it being quite uh, disappointing when one opens up the corset and reveals the uh, uh, dad bod beer gut underneath. That would be quite uh, awful. And also, my fear is if it's uh, if it's tied too tight. I mean, the, the the flesh wounds or injuries that could occur when the uh, flailing corset comes undone and explodes. Uh, it could cause an absolute heinous crime and you could be done for manslaughter. All right, so on our historical Tinder game today, we have King John, 1199 to 1216. Um, so this is where instead of playing Tinder, we basically take a historical figure like a monarch who may have been a despot and uh, see if the axe or guillotine swings to the right or left or if he escapes a guillotine. Uh, with a, a harem or something. Uh, the reign of King John is a salutary reminder that murder and treachery may possibly be forgiven in a monarch but not in competence. Uh, John was the youngest and favourite son of uh, Henry II, but he had not been entrusted with any lands and was mockingly named John Lackland. 
He uh, tried unsuccessfully to seize power while his brother Richard I was away on crusades and was sent to exile upon Richard's return. On his accession, John had his own nephew Arthur murdered. Fearing Arthur might pursue his own much better claim to the throne, he embarked on a disastrous war with King Philip, August of uh, France, in which he lost the whole of Normandy. This single act of incompetence deprived the barons of an important part of their power base and he alienated them further with an arbitrary demands for money and even forcing himself on their wives. Uh, King John may have been murdered. In exasperation, they uh, forced to accept Magna Carta no sooner had he sealed it. However, he then went back to the, on his word and plunged the country into a maelstrom of war and French invasion. Some tyrants have been rehabilitated by history, but not John. So in King John's case, there was no uh, crushing of his skull by an axe or guillotine or anything along those lines. It didn't look like he uh, got any sort of uh, any special sort of uh, frolics or any nookie out of the whole equation. His whole reign really was a was a whole disaster. Uh, really uh, painted a picture of entire incompetence. So that lovely little trombone really does lead us into uh, Trump or trombone. And we're taking the headline uh, headlines of the week and basically equating them to a Trump or a trombone. Both are pretty bad. And trust me, these headlines are bad. Uh, so first uh, on the uh, on the Oki, uh, coming from the amenable Daily Star, why 536 AD was the worst year to be alive, according to researchers. Um, scientists, uh, or 2020 may go down as one of the worst years that uh, we have ever experienced is rightly so. It was an unprecedented challenge for millions of people. Uh, but uh, it's no secret 2020 was uh, one to put behind us, but what was the worst year on record? Scientists say 2020 isn't the worst year on record. Historians and researchers said it was actually 536 AD. Uh, in 536 the AD, the world went cold. The planet plunged into total darkness and lasted a full 18 months. A mysterious fog rolled around Europe the Middle East and parts of Asia. The sun was blocked out during the day, causing total darkness. Surviving records indicate the shadows could be seen not even until midday. Temperatures dropped to nearly freezing year-round. Crops did not grow and people died in their swathes. Uh, as you guessed it, it was the literal dark age. And um, it, it was uh, mainly due uh, to the Northern Hemisphere uh, creating a global climate pattern and years of famine caused by volcanoes erupting and then the first bubonic plague. I thought we were plunged into a new dark age last week with Trump's huge head blocking out the sun and it acting like Attila the Hun. Hun not being an old-fashioned term of endearment in this case. And a man whose body turns food into beer gets drunk by eating a slice of cake. A man whose body acts like a brewery says his rare condition means he can get blind drunk by eating a piece of cake. He suffers from an auto-brewery syndrome disorder that causes his body to turn carbohydrates into alcohol. This leaves him intoxicated without touching a drop of alcohol. The condition also makes Nick crave Victoria sponge cake, which then leaves him so sozzled he can pass out the way that an alcoholic would crave drink. He added, I can go from being stone cold sober to being three times the driving limit in minutes. It's lucky he doesn't have uh, those sort of cake celebrations in the office. Um, or, you know, what would happen if he had a boozy slice of Christmas cake with a lot of brandy in it? I mean, it'd probably knock him out for days here. So a literal hair of the dog would get him drunk, let alone a Bloody Mary. So he crew two Krispy Kreme donuts, uh, a shake, and plenty slurred. And a woman is in hysterics after a creative way 
the guy attempts to contact her after she blocked him. Caitlin took to TikTok to explain what happened once a person she was dating realized she had blocked him, and now and now everyone's begging her to get back together with him. A woman who blocked a guy she was talking to has revealed the creative way he attempted to get her attention. The woman known as Caitlin on TikTok explained after she found out the boy she was dating was also talking to a close friend of hers at the same time she blocked him. But she now uh, she was still watching films of, on his Netflix account. Uh, which he knew so when she stopped replying to his messages he changed the usernames of each of his netflix profiles to communicate it with her the tiktoker users say it was a, uh, and gave credit for the creativity in a clip that was being viewed more than four million times so i blocked a guy uh, i'd been talking to but was still using his netflix uh, account uh, very low key she pans over the tv where each of the user accounts have been renamed to say please unblock me i mean he should have put a love couplet in a silk glove attached to a hawk's leg that would have been very romantic or maybe the discount option could be the rat of the sky a note a post-it note attached to a pigeon's leg and a woman has been left in stitches after watching bad and mortifying video of her sleeping at night oh the indignity of being caught snoring the pain of somebody uh, watch you uh, with your mouth wide open while you loudly snored hits hard most of the time it's thankfully not an issue but our loved ones learn to put up with it one woman was left in stitches after her boyfriend captured her deafening doze on camera while filming her when she was actually asleep the mortifying moment led to a joke she'll never sleep again after watching the hilarious video back and it's racked up six million views on uh, on tiktok um I think that's why traditional nightgowns and hats should be the way forward, covering up as much as your body and face as possible. Forget uh, the look, though. It's the, uh, it's the other thing, the uh, sleep breath, which is the real dragon tamer in the morning. And finally, Elvis Alive conspiracy fueled by five sightings of the king after his death. It is one of the most infamous uh, conspiracies of all. Did Elvis fake his own death to escape superstardom? When the king of rock and roll died on August the 16th, 1977, the music industry was stunned. But speculation started to grow among a small group of sketches that Sir Elvis may not be, have died after all. Uh, and then poting, um, you know, uh, pointing out the supposed discrepancies with the iconic photo of his corpse. Since then, the bonkers theory has developed into an urban legend with countless books and even feature-length documentaries uh, produced to examine whether the king of rock and roll is still alive and believes they've even shared numerous sightings of the hound dog singer um it would have been his 86th birthday um but i mean elvis like abused his body in the last years of life it, I, I don't feel he would hardly be alive anymore um they knew it was him though in these recent sightings uh, because of the mars bar stain on his white vegas suit and that he was singing Love me, chicken tenders. Love me true. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast this week. It's episode 53, Keep Coming Cauliflower Cheese. It was lovely to have you here. Really felt your presence. And thank you for all the warm comments um, and uh, getting in touch with me. Do appreciate it. Like and subscribe across all the platforms at Keep Cheese on Twitter and uh, Keep Coming Cauliflower Cheese on instagram and i will be back next week for podcasts friday and saturday again if i can uh, bolster the energy um and i finish with one of my favorite poems it's a lovely winter poem by thomas hardley the darkling thrush i leant upon a coppice gate when frost was specter gray and winter's dregs made desolate 
the weakening eye of day. The tangled bind stems scored the sky like strings of broken lyrics, and all mankind that haunted nigh had sought their household fires. The land's sharp features seemed to be the century's corpse outlent, his crypt the cloudy canopy, the wind his death lament. The ancient pulse of German birth was shrunken hard and dry, and every spirit upon the earth seemed fervorless as I. At once a voice arose among, a bleak twigs overhead, in a full-hearted evensong uh, joy illuminate. An aged thrush, frail, gaunt and small, in blast, beruffled plume, had chosen thus to fling his soul upon the growing gloom. So little cause for carolings of such ecstatic sound was written on terrestrial things afar from night around, that I could think those trembled though his happy good night air, some blessed hope whereof he knew that I was unaware. Cheerio for now, and I'll be back again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, have a lovely week.